Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, we review the coverage of another unpredictable election campaign with an unexpected win for a major broadcaster. There's a new chief executive at Channel 4. Maggie Brown is here to tell us all about her and what she needs to do to keep the corporation on an even keel. Plus, Hopkins leaves LBC. Apple blow the doors off podcasting. The Radio Academy returns with a rebooted awards due. And in the Media Quiz, we reveal the wolves in sheep clothing. It's all to come on today's media podcast. And joining me today at Picture House Central, our creative director of TV indie Lemonade Money, it's Faraz Osman, and Heat Magazine's entertainment director, Boyd Hilton. Uh, Boyd, you've been at a screening today. Yes. Oh, I can't really talk about that. It's strictly embargoed. Can you give us a star rating without saying what it was? Uh, yes, I'll give you the star rating of two stars. Ooh, yeah. I look forward Sorry. to reading the review at a later date. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it wasn't Baby Driver, was it? No, oh, no, Baby Driver's great. Baby Driver's five. Fine, yeah. good, okay. good. Process of elimination. This is so secret, I can't say what it is. Uh, Faraz, what is on your secrets late at the moment? Uh, we are hustling as usual. We've got a few things that we are we're chatting about that I can't talk about unfortunately because they're in development. Come on, but we, uh, throw me well, a the exciting thing here. Is, is, the exciting <laughs> thing is that a fourth season of Four to the Floor is on air on Channel Four right now. So that's doing great guns. Uh, we've got a, a new presenting cast on that. Um, so they're on the couch reviewing and talking about the best in new music. So it's quite exciting. Yeah, Check I'm, that I out. I didn't get a call. Uh, and joining us down the line from her writing den in South London, it is media writer Maggie Brown. Hi, Maggie. Hi there. I imagine you were uh, just finishing your second history on Channel 4 when Jay Hunt resigned. How's the book going? Uh, well, actually, the book is, is going fine. All I can say is that... Um, I'm actually quite relieved it's all kind of clear-cut now. It's much better to have nice, clean decisions and the end of one era. And also, I'm actually quite pleased because all of my forecasts came true that you never have an internal candidate. So a little boost of confidence because, of course, the favoured insider was Jay Hunt and for a variety of reasons, she didn't get it. Well, more of that later. That's what we call a tease. But let's start with the big news story, the election, because uh, as has been... Uh, widely discussed by other more venerable outlets, the result of this snap election was totally unexpected for pretty much everyone. Well, pretty much everyone full stop, but certainly in our industry, who pretty much all assumed a majority of some kind for the Conservatives. Let's start with the coverage, though, um, especially once that exit poll was announced, because the BBC, ITV, Sky and Channel 4 were all running with live coverage when suddenly it seemed like something you might want to actually watch. Uh, What did you make of what you saw, Boyd? 
Oh, it was tremendously uh, exciting and uplifting. And um, yeah, I mean, I voted very late actually in the end because because um, I did most of vote in the morning. So I, I went to vote. Um, in so my, you swung it. It was all I me, swung was it. it. It was in my youth. Yeah, <laughs> I'm in the youth vote. Definitely. I mean, the nearly 50 youth vote. Um, and was, so I was went there to, a Labour bribe for uh, TV journalists? Uh, <laughs> if there isn't, there should be. So I, I voted kind of fairly last minute. Then I went home and pretty much switched on. Uh, BBC One. I always go to be, you know, like I think probably most people, I go to BBC One first uh, as is tradition. I feel for, it is for matters of for mat- state importance. Of state yeah. importance. Yeah, saw the exit poll and was tremendously excited. But of course, every, they're always talking about how you know it may well be wrong, and I, I, I assumed it would be wrong. I, mean, I totally assumed it would be wrong, especially with all the warnings. Then once um, John Curtis starting having the kind of ongoing discussion slash slightly spiky row with them um, is it peter kellner the um there are they had like two polling experts curtis was up in the on that weird balcony peter kellner was down sitting with david dimbush he thought oh he must know what he's talking about and he's been <laughs> on the bbc one for about 30 years and he completely trashed the exit after the first two mm. results came in from the northeast like sunderland and newcastle or whatever and i thought oh it's going to be a bad night and then the next few results came in and then it was it was incredible it was a roller coaster <laughs> but i have to say i'm sure you kind of alluded to this in your introduction but but I did feel, as, as a, some kind of TV critic, that I should flick around and check the other um, broadcasters. And immediately I was drawn to ITV. I just thought having um, Ed Bulls and George Osmond was a masterstroke and having them throughout the night commenting. They developed a little relationship. Obviously, they know each other. And they were kind of funny and kind of outrageous. And Osmond was being incredibly critical of Theresa May. I mean, fair enough. And it was, all, it was even more exciting on ITV, I have to say. So I, I, for the first time in my lifetime, really, I genuinely I kind of thought, right, I'm going to stick mostly with ITV and check Channel 4 and Sky fairly regularly as well. But it was, it, I was amazed by myself that I was picking ITV over BBC One. And there was less visibly money on screen. I mean, apart from what they... Paid George Osborne and Ed Bulls, wasn't there on ITV? They were yeah. sitting in a little boxy room. Yeah, it was BBC a virtual, this massive aircraft right. hangar. Basically, I mean, BBC, and I have to say, the BBC went way over the top because it's fine to have. I didn't mind all the all the graphics and the spectacular huge studio, but having Curtis up on that balcony was weird. Talking down to them, it just it just looked odd. And then you had Michelle Hussein, I think it was, in in a different interview area, interviewing other people as well as David Dimbleby doing some interviews in his area. And then you had it was just too many people and different types of graphs from one person. <laughs> another person it was just a Jeremy Vining one type of and it was like do we really need that many and then ITV I think there was a kind of simplicity to it to kind of a core team and um, it was much infinitely preferable I thought yeah I think my favorite tweet of the evening actually and I've forgotten I'm afraid who did it but it was uh, someone tweeting and now over to Jeremy Vine for live analysis and they put a picture of Homer Simpson doing Tron (laughs) (laughs) and that's exactly what it was like what did you think for us of the various different competitors and did you flick beyond ITV and BBC I'm also part of the eat my hat hat trick of failures when it comes to calling election coverage now and it's and and so yeah I mean it was exciting you kind of almost felt like you know it was a bit of a stitch up as well how do we get audience figures to election coverage I know let's let's put something let's put a cliffhanger right at the beginning and see if people stick with it but I, I kind of I kind of agree with Boyd it's um, I think the BBC it's one of those things that the BBC know that every single politician is is watching that coverage so it's a time for them to kind of go we need to make sure we get it right because there's probably going to be a conversation about the license fee further down the line so we need to make sure we represent everybody fairly get everybody on there and make sure that they understand that this is a public service broadcaster that's, that's paid for by by your license fee etc so and but it did feel a little bit rough around the edges and not as slick you know and also it did genuinely feel across all of the channels when I was flicking around that they were caught with their pants down a little bit when it came to the, ex- uh, the exit 
loopholes and, and they were all kind of thinking on their feet, which, which made it really exciting. I watched a little bit of the Channel 4 coverage, which I thought was better than it has been in previous years. Um, I think having Alistair Campbell on it was, was really shrewd and, and that really helped. And so I, I did really enjoy that. It was kind of the same idea as last time, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, alter- I mean, with pretty much the same main team, I think, David well, Mitchell I think and Richard, Paxman. And Richard Osmond, Richard Osmond is new. And I think Richard oh, okay. Osmond really fits that, he was that good, role. Yeah. And I think that he's, he's the right sort of person to have there. Yeah. And I think playing off his pointless role of being almost like a statue yeah. in the corner really works in this space because he can also be funny at the same time. Well, what about what that says about Channel 4 News, though, Maggie? I mean, you know, this is their big night, isn't it? And it's... OK, it's not like the BBC, where they've got Koonsberg and Marr and Robinson and they're all battling it out to talk the most about what's going on. But they've got a lot yeah. of talent at Channel 4 News and, and instead of them being on screen for the election results, you're watching talent poached from the BBC to effectively do a comedy show. Yes, I know. I mean, I, th- I, think, I think it will probably will be uh, reviewed. I, as a news programme, Channel 4 News has actually had a, a good election, in my opinion. Um, I, I sampled it. But I didn't stay with it because I just thought I've seen enough. I know what it's like that the real news story, whichever channel you watch, and I watch Sky News as well, was, was just unfolding somewhere else. The thing I miss at the moment now, am I the only one who fell in love with Election Spy? Did anybody watch that on BBC? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah you good. know, b- before you went into Newsnight after the 10 o'clock news. It was so funny. Just that brilliant five minutes. And um, I would have loved a sort of... Uh, and after the election dissection by, by that team, it was hat-trick, actually, with their best uh, script. Should we talk about the papers? Because, um, boy, John Prescott tweeted that yeah. Rupert Murdoch had stormed out of the news building after oh, yeah. the exit poll. How weak are the tabloids now at predicting oh. this kind of thing or influencing oh, it? totally pointless. Um, I, I think someone did deny that John Prescott story, didn't they? I saw some, I think someone from the Times said it wasn't true, um, so wait, we want it to be true, obviously, because that would be <laughs> hilarious. I mean, I think always the the, um, the influence of the tabloid press has been overemphasized. You know, the Sun c- claimed themselves that they won it, you know, one year, and, you know, they're so predictable. It's, not, it's, not <laughs> it's like the least surprising thing on earth was that the Mail and the Sun, particularly, when they go hell for leather, pro- Conservative pro Theresa May and hysterically anti Corbyn, and they absolutely lived up to that level of hysteria that we expected. But it was so blatant, I think, and it's become so blatant and, bo- and kind of boringly obvious that I think people are completely uh, just don't give a damn anymore. You know, obviously, left wing people like me, I, you know, I'm pinging my colours to the most. Obviously, I, in, never in a million years would I think of taking seriously what the son of the male say. But I think more than that, they're turning off their own core, you know, if you like, kind of similar to the Tories, actually. I think people are just I think finding you're absolutely it. absolutely right. They should really have an examination of themselves mm. because it's almost like signing a death warrant if you are disconnected from such a large percentage of the younger population. I just think that they have to actually refresh their approach. But I don't think they will, unfortunately. No. They are, you know, rinsed in their own uh, political viewpoints. And it's all part and parcel of both the vision that they project uh, of the world and the people that they sort of employ to do it. I don't know how long they can go on sustaining this sort of pantomime act, to be honest. I thought that the Times did a very good job, actually, in, in trying to be balanced and trying to report. The Financial Times obviously does what it does. And The Guardian had a range of opinion as well, although it, it obviously lent towards um, Corbyn. But for the tabloids themselves, I, I don't know how... I, I, they can't just assume that the younger population now 
we'll just be happy with the Mail Online sort of showbiz uh, content as well. Well, we're all talking as if Labour absolutely smashed it just because <laughs> they did better than we expected. The Tories did win, but what does that mean for their manifesto promises on the media? Because, of course, they haven't won one with a capital W, have they? Is Channel 4 going to move north? Will Section 40 be scrapped? Will Leveson 2 be scrapped? Uh, who'd like to jump in on one of those? Maggie? Well, I think that the election commitment uh, over Channel 4, there's a consultation taking place about uh, possible relocations, also whether it can invest much more as a shareholder into developing independent producers and then selling them on a whole range of um, issues over Channel 4. Two thoughts, really. It seems quite clear to people that Nick Timothy, who of course is now out in the... <laughs> the cold darkness of wherever he is. Was Careful Erdington, what you say, Maggie, because he might end up being your editor. Uh, was Erdington Man, and uh, he was credited with being the person who, in particular, thought that it was time for Channel 4 to move out and maybe to go to his favoured second city, after all, Birmingham. So uh, you might say that there's a weakening of that resolve. At the same time, of course, we have got Karen Bradley back as Culture Secretary, who was very much in... Uh, favour of, of, of this this move and had said at a conference in Salford at the end of March that the government and Channel 4 were very far apart on this issue. So it may be something that will continue because it isn't apparently that contentious in political terms because there might well be a view in the Labour camp that some sort of better reporting or better coverage and, and representation of areas outside of London would be very welcome indeed. Remember, um, Ofcom has to have a new chair. Patricia Hodgson is leaving at the end of the year. Of, Ofcom incredibly powerful media and communications regulator. So that's another thing that's up for grabs too. So, um, you know, interesting times. And Maggie, since our last show, Channel 4 have announced their new chief exec as well. Yes. That's Alex Mann. Uh, Maggie, what do we know about her? Well, Alex Mann is the first woman to be a chief executive of Channel 4. She'll be the seventh. Um, she has come very much from outside of the broadcaster's area. She, her career, 17 years, um, has been, apart from being a management consultant, has been at Fremantle, part of uh, the RTL group, which um, makes all sorts of programs like The X Factor. And then she, of course, went over to help Elizabeth Murdoch at Shine, execute a whole number of deals which then led to a merger within Endemol and she basically now after running the foundry which uh, does special effects for filmmakers has landed this top job but she also if you read the spec that the company was advertising you will see that it had a number of pointers to her which said for example they wanted somebody who knew a deep understanding of international markets. Well, that's most certainly her because that's what the Shine Endemol company was about and so indeed was Fremantle. An experience of business building, inspiring teams through change and a, a balanced mix of creative and commercial organisation. About the one thing she doesn't know very much about is the advertising market and this is no small area for Channel 4 since it's 95% dependent on advertising. And they've got to pay so, for Bake Off. And they've got to pay for Bake Off. And there has been, I think, probably quite accurate reporting that some of the hopes for Bake Off, the sponsorship area, they hope there'll be a great competition for it, has not been quite as rosy as they expected. So 
Yeah. Mr. Kipling can name their price at the moment. (laughs) Well, (laughs) that's about the one thing she doesn't tick a box for. And of course, the the problem is that it's not, one can fully understand this, but the person who thought she was going to get it from inside, Jay Hunt, the creative director, um, announced she was leaving on the Friday before Alex Mann's appointment was confirmed. So she's leaving and saying she's going almost before the new chief executive arrives. Now, it's inevitable new chief executives would have probably found their own new team, but it's quite a sort of a rapid exit in terms of the way television normally works. I mean, presumably, I mean, the gossip is that's because she wanted that job, right? And she was David Abrams' yes, favourite for there that were, job. There were four people in the final um, round, uh, and she was, she was one of them. Uh, in fact, there were three women and one man. And, um, I mean, she was the person that was the internal candidate left, left uh, in, in the race. Channel 4 is quite a small organisation, 830 people. It handles a lot of contracts. Sometimes it's actually a form of perhaps rather brutal uh, self-renewal that you do go every six or seven years or so to the outside market and get a, a new person in. Faraz, one of the things that the new chief executive will have to do is replace Jay Hunt pretty soon, as Maggie was saying. What would you be looking for in a new chief creative officer? Well, I, I actually spoke to a few friends of mine who said that there's a possibility that the role might be split, which could be quite interesting. So there could be a, a creative role and there, there could be a more of an administrative role, which may balance out uh, the fact that there's been some conversations about Alex's... Um, uh, experience in, in program making so but, I mean, you used to work for channel 4 didn't you if you were looking for someone to run it now what do you think they need well i think that there's some already some really interesting names in the frame based on my based on my failure of, of predicting any politics in the last few years i'm, I'm not going to put my head above the parapet and suggest that i think there's going to be one name that's above the others but I, I actually welcome the change if it's really interesting to kind of see the fact that when when jake first came in netflix hadn't launched in the uk um you know amazon prime video wasn't even a, a thing that would been coined let alone you know ex- in was existing and uh, the, the market is now completely different to what it was when when Jay first joined and and David Abrams first joined, and we've got something that's that's completely new and a whole new set of challenges. And and I think that by the time we have a new team in there, when we get to the end of it, it will be a completely different and possibly unrecognisable company from what it is today. And that goes down to to what actually Channel Four's for, and is is it just about being a program maker? Is it a publisher? Is it going to own, own more and more indies? And and so I don't think it's. I'm hoping that it's not just going to be a straight, well, let's pick another person that's leading another channel or leading another place, plonk them in there and they can be creative from there. It would be nice to see if the, the, the field was opened up a little bit to see if, you know, are there some online creatives that we haven't spoken about before? Are there some, you know, even radio creatives or um, digital creatives that, that don't necessarily fit into the normal TV mould that might be able to shake things up and look at it from a different perspective? It's born risky after all. And Boyd, you professionally have to sit through all the big new shows on yeah. Channel 4 when yeah. they're launched. What is Jay Hunt's legacy? Because there have uh, been some highlights. But, yeah. You know, are they representative? You know, the island, humans, first dates, people talk about those. But Catastrophe. I think she's done a good job, you know. I think I remember probably three or four years ago, maybe, um, I hosted the Edinburgh Controller Session with Jay. And at the time... You know, she faced a lot of criticism in the industry, and I think, and it was packed. It was so full. It was in the biggest auditorium at the festival, and they were locking people out because there was such a 
Yeah, that you didn't get in. There you go. There was such a kind of frenzied. Do you remember? There was like a frenzied feeling that you know she had to go from some people, mainly because I think people thought the channel was getting tired in terms of its creativity. But I think she totally pulled it back. And I think in the last three or four years, it's. it's, I think right now it's in rude health. I think it's got some really strong comedy drama. I think in fact entertainment, it's kind of ruling the roost with, as you say, first dates and shows like that. The last legs doing really well. I think it's. I think Channel Four is the hardest of the major channels to be creatively in charge of. I do. I have to say. I mean, I think BBC. You know, I could run BBC One. <laughs> that's arrogant. But you know what I mean. You know, it's like you've got hundreds of millions of pounds. You know, massive budget. You've got the world's creative people at your disposal. Channel Four. It's like a harder, that real tough balance. I think to, f- you're between criticised for doing comfortable. Right. You, you are. Yeah. And as soon as you do one, you're allowed to. Yeah. Do if you do something supposedly safe, you know, mainstream, you get criticism. If you do too well, you know, in ratings, almost the Bake Off decision was of course highly controversial but anyway I think generally she, she will have been shown historically to have done a good job and I think Channel 4 right now is in a really good state and I enjoy you know I enjoy watching it. I mean I never even I hardly even watch Channel 5 for example so it, it, generally I think it's doing it's doing well yeah. How interesting though that, that her challenge when she came in was to get rid of the albatross that was Big Brother yeah. and, and that, that left yeah. and now the, whoever her, her success is going to be their challenge is going to be making Bake Off work so it's, right. it's almost like well, you've lost one albatross and she's, she's let another one in through the window. Funnily enough, of course, two things about that. One, right now, um, Love Island on ITV2 is totally slaughtering Big Brother. It's, I mean, normal Big Brother, non-celebrity Big Brother is over, I think. And Love Island has totally taken its place. It's a phenomenon among our readers and, and the young. You know, they much prefer it as a, as a format. The other thing is, is that I think generally the Bake Off, I was, I was furious when the whole Bake Off thing happened. But I have to say, I, I hear from journalists who've been on set and have interviewed the new team, they're loving it. And I think it's going to be much better, much less of a disaster than, than people like me I thought. I don't know. I think I'm wait, saying wait it until now. 8 million people Bold see British. Noel Fielding for the first time. No, what well, I you wait. That. I think people will like it. Okay. So. Maggie, yeah. final thought for you. Let's, let's cut straight in. Who are the contenders we should be looking out for to replace Jay Hunt, in your view? Well, I think that um, there's certainly one of her previous uh, employees, Shine's creative director, uh, who works at Chapel is actually overseeing uh, the Great Bake Off. Um, I, I don't know because the thing is that it isn't as simple as people are, are are making out. Because I think that there was going to be probably no one single uh, creative director that the um, decision making may be returned a bit more to people. So it's more of a, a consensual approach and, and a change from this. The, the, um, Jay Hunt was running a very pyramidical structure with her very much at the top with everything referred upwards. So uh, although of course there will be a figure, it will, I think it will be something that is, is less stamped with that individual's uh, personality. We'll have to buy the third volume of the biography to find out who it is. <laughs> I think that would be a good move, by the way. I think uh, giving more power to the individual you know, commissioners in the different departments. I think I've always, I kind of always wondered, the controllers, it's quite a kind of, feels to me quite an old-school way of running a channel. You know, The, the team that, that well, Jay that Hunt... Was the way, that was the way that they were able to get Jay Hunt in, because she was right. a very big fish. She was the controller of BBC One. Sure. And so she could almost dictate her terms. I'm not sure the next person will be able to do that. The other thing you have to remember, I don't actually agree with your analysis, Boydie, in one sense that um, Channel 4 is fighting for market share and impact. And that's precisely why it went for the Great uh, British Bake Off. It, it wanted to have a big catch that it could sell to advertisers and to draw in people who don't normally watch Channel 4. It's partly why there's so many fixed 
programs still there, like uh, One Born Every Minute and um, 24 Hours in A&E, which has actually a big reach. A lot of the shows that people love, catastrophes, are quite small shows, really. And so they do have to keep an eye. This is what I come back to. They do have to keep an eye on the commercial side of the business 95% of its income at the moment comes from advertising one of Alex's challenges is going to be how you change that Maggie Brown, thank you we'll have more after this Hi, I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Time for some news in brief now for Raz and Boyd are still with me. Apple had their annual developers conference last week and announced a new product to rival Amazon's Echo device. Uh, but more interesting to podcast nerds like us is the announcement that they are going to open up their podcast listening analytics to publishers. Uh, Boyd, what does that mean? Well, from what I understand, I mean, I have got two podcasts, by the way, uh, Footballistically Arsenal and The Heat Amistables. Go and subscribe now uh-huh. on iTunes. But as far as I understand, it's a way of finding out what listeners like within your podcast. Is that right? You know, they'll tell you if they suddenly stop listening after 20 minutes. Beyond that, I don't know how, I genuinely don't understand how they're going to tell us what, what the listeners like or don't like about podcasts. Because who, I mean, I might stop listening to a podcast if I find it boring after... 25 minutes but then I'm not going to carry on afterwards so I don't it's a bit of an odd one maybe you know more than me well I presume that the information will be for example instead of just people who like this also like Apple have Uh, data on every podcast that someone's downloaded so they can tell you 80% 80% of people that listen to Mayo and Kermode have also tried out Boyd Hilton, for uh, example. Okay. And then there's the issue about when they drop off, yeah. And I wonder for us, actually, whether that's fair data in a way, because uh, I've seen a lot of podcasters get excited about the idea that they'll finally be able to say to advertisers, look, it's not just about our subscriber numbers, as Boyd just boasted of, you know, <laughs> oh. <laughs> subscribe to my show, and then you get the download numbers. It might be that I can prove to you advertisers that our people, our listeners, they're still listening after 35 minutes. They love our show that much. They're still listening. But of course, 
it could prove the opposite, couldn't it? It could prove that most listeners never press play on the show they've downloaded. The magic in digital marketing is is that you pick the analytic that works best for your message, as it were. So some people talk about, and it's been happening on the web for ages, some people talk about the amount of hits they get, some people talk about dwell time, some people talk about um, how many links are being linked to, to that, that site, etc. And you just make, you find a big bashy figure that, um, that reels in the advertiser. And I think the more that you can get, the more that you can tailor, tailor your, um, uh, your presentation to advertisers uh, accordingly. So, so I think that the more data that we can make available to to, to everyone, the, the better, because it means that hopefully we can attract more of a, an audience into this space. And it is still quite new. And I know we feel like we've been talking about it for decades, and we probably have. But, but when it comes to actually maturing, um, I think that there have been things that... Um, uh, that, that have meant that, that more and more people are subscribing to it, and you know, there's the obvious touch points of serial. And but I think that we've also found that more political analysis is happening on on podcasts. People are getting into talks, talk radio a lot more, and all of those things are kind of cumulatively, hopefully, bringing in more advertisers. And because let's be honest, I'm, I'm sure people who have subscribed to this have subscribed to lots of other podcasts, and it generally is the same advertisers again and again and again. Yes. And that's kind of part now, of the story. And that's weird, I think. You know, because if you listen to some American shows now, the big ones, you have five finally got companies like Ford uh, sponsoring Startup, for example. General Motors have a drama podcast. But in the UK, you know, it's not Vauxhall supporting yeah. shows, is it? It is still bloody MailChimp and Squarespace and, you know, Amazon Video and Blue Apron and these companies that basically are issuing a code. Mm. I mean, God bless you, Squarespace. I love you. Use your code, MediaPod. To get, <laughs> On and, any of those websites <laughs> and you'll get a discount. And that's, that's because they can show that listeners come through, use their code and then monetize it. But, but why aren't Ford advertising on podcasts in the UK? Why is that still not happening? Yeah, it's weird. I think there are just too many people out there who just still don't really know what a podcast is genuinely in that in that kind of level of you know people who that level of power if you like i i went to a big event at, at sky recently i was talking to lots of people much more high powered than me and i was talk, telling them about my podcast and they were like oh i don't listen to a podcast ever you know i'm like really and so i think it's still it is as you say a new thing one, quite, one thing i hope the analytics thing solves is when i first started doing my arsenal podcast years ago i was told very firmly that it had to be 35 minutes and not a minute longer i think i mentioned this before on this podcast and i was like why and i was like oh no one listens to longer than 35 minutes and they've been yet yeah, all the best podcasts yeah. you know are epic they're massively long brace and this new one goes on for about two hours yeah but mobile they, data didn't my, exist when you started doing podcasts right. did it but, but, but no that was the thing about apparently so you people, used to have to download it plug in your ipod but i don't think that was it. even the reason the reason we were told was that people tune out but i think all my fa- all my favorites go on for hours and hours that's the great thing about them so if if the analytics can solve that mystery i'll be pleased well if i may ironically move us on now uh let's talk about radio uh because uh whilst we were away LBC released Katie Hopkins from her contract. Uh, that's pretty much all you can say about it because she's agreed to not issue a comment about it and they've said nothing other than Katie Hopkins has left. But uh, she did send quite a few offensive tweets before the one that seemed to break the camel's back. Faraz, what do you think took them so long? Uh, <laughs> the thing is is that people like Katie Hopkins bring in audiences, whether we like them or not. I mean, you know, it's, it's difficult to talk about anything without mentioning Donald Trump's name at the moment, but it's the same sort of, of argument. You know, there's, there, nobody really listens to people that say the same as everybody else. And Katie Hopkins was very successful, rightly or wrongly, for, for being an Asian provocateur and, and actually, you know, sticking her head above the parapet and saying things that nobody else would say. I think that she obviously got consumed by her own power, thankfully, and got, got, it got there in the end. 
but it's but the, the reality is that she is famous because people listen to her and get outraged by her. If you didn't get outraged by her, then she would never have an audience, and she would never have got an LBC show in the first place. Exactly, but the timeline wasn't. She got recruited by LBC for being provocative and then went over the line. She said that migrants should drown in the sea, and then she got a show on LBC. Yeah. So what did they think they were getting? I, exactly? did, I think I think they were. I think like a lot of um, people in charge of these kind of things, they were arrogant enough to think, oh, it doesn't matter. As you say, she's a professional controversialist. If we're gonna, and, they, and there's quite a few of those on the station. Yeah, Ian Dale is quite, you know, kind of spiky, provocative, right wing commentator. I think he's very good, by the way. And he's, he's no, he's nothing like her. He's, well, do he's you know, what? he has his moments. Centre right. No, he has his moments where he gets, broad, gets we're, very. We're talking, but, uh, sorry, Ferrari's more like Ferrari. Yeah, but they they, they have very opinionated. Yes, what I'm saying. Yeah, uh, James O'Brien on the left. Yeah. You know, they all have rank. This is like it's the meeting where they got rid of me from my contract. Sorry, all I'm saying is all of those people, all those people stock in trade, and the thing they all put on social media is when any of them have a big rant about something, and they're all capable of it, mm. they, that's their big stock in trade, and I think they're all good at it. Her, the problem with her was she went too far, I think, for our taste, and I think for LBC, it has got a good reputation. It's been going for decades and decades, and I think they made a big mistake in the first place, giving her the job, because the rest of the people at the station, I think, were annoyed. People, you know, there's really good people there. Uh, Sheila Fogarty's a great broadcaster, you know, X5 Live. I don't imagine, I've no, this, I've, I haven't spoken to her about it, I imagine she didn't have much respect for Katie Hopkins, and I think when your own, empl- and apparently the employees cheered when it was announced that she was leaving, and that's, and that's the thing. You can't, the bosses thought maybe she'd do well in the ratings and give us some hits on social media, but it's not worth it, because everyone hated her. But, but two, I mean, I'm sure you've got some international listeners to this podcast and, and it feels like an idiosyncrasy because when you look at America and you look at talk radio in America, it's vile. It's absolutely yeah. vile. And, and you have people like Rush Lindbergh and you have people like um, Alex Jones who are saying the most atrocious things like about Sandy Hook and the fact mm. that it was all a hoax and they all put it on. And, and these people are getting press access now to the White House for better or worse. And, and so, you know, LBC, it's, it's not difficult to see why they're tempted by that model because it does have influence and it does have power. And when it comes to television, you know, newspapers, yes, obviously she's got a column in the newspapers, but as that's become less and less powerful, the print media, radio, there is a there is an opportunity for radio to kind of pick up that that baton, as it were. And they obviously have to be more careful because they have stronger guidelines around them. But it doesn't surprise me that LBC have been trying this model, which has worked for them. They've become an incredibly successful radio station recently because of doing this. So, you know, it's it's about sailing as close to the wind as possible without going, right, that's too close and now we're, now we're going to move on from there. And w- one of the things that I'm aware of is if you look at what's happening in Fox News in America, it's advertisers that are pulling the rank there. So when advertisers, you know, things, some of those presenters have done the most atrocious things has been completely ignored. And it's only recently that you've seen people like Bill O'Reilly being fired, not because of what they've done, but because of what advertisers have said, no, that's enough. And I think that that's starting to happen around a rhetoric of like, you know, stop, you know, we're going to stop reading the Daily Mail um, and yeah, stop like funding adver- hate, stop adver- funding hate campaign. Advertisers ended the news of the world, didn't they? When the advertisers stopped pulling out, that's what ended it for the news of the world, I think. And just to take that international bull by the horns for a second... This isn't necessarily a bad story for Katie Hopkins, is it? She's been on Fox and Friends talking about this. Oh my God, it yeah. seems to me I mean, that's her destiny, isn't it? She's going to be the British one on Fox. Yeah, and Fox she... is losing viewers as well. So this yeah, is this true. is this yeah. is not something that like I mean I would say this. I hope that this is true. That the tide is turning now, where people have gone. You know what? This is enough. It's it's now gone all the way to the White House. This this, this stupidity and nonsense has gone all the way to the White House. We can't continue to have conspiracy theories. It used to be a little bit of fun, and we kind of shared it, kind of going, "Oh my God, it's outrage." Now it's actually proving to have political discourse, yeah, and it's changed. 
been jo- Alex Jones is the subject of a big mainstream interview coming up on NBC, isn't he? Next yeah, week, it's happened. Right? Yes. It's outrageous. And, yeah, and he go. talks about the Sandy Hook <laughs> yeah, conspiracy. I, know, I, know. I think I, what I would say about Katie Hopkins' future is I think she should create her own YouTube channel and stick with that. And, that, and, and I mean, YouTube, you know, if she goes too far, we'll have to get rid of her as well. But I interviewed Piers Morgan last week, and he told me that him and her are the two most popular widely read columnists in the country and if that's true she can carry on the both of them can carry on in the daily mail mail reads will be happy no one else needs to bother and finally just before the quiz the radio academy have announced the return of the arias the audio and radio industry awards talking about global again aren't we boyd because yes. last year they weren't part of the awards they didn't show up they didn't enter they didn't sponsor it do you think that's going to be different this year Oh, I hope so. I hope so, yeah. I mean, you know, obviously I work for Bauer, so Bauer's their big rival, and I hope Bauer supports it. I'm sure they will. I just think there should be a Radio Awards. You know, the Sonys were a massive tradition. I think it, it felt like it mattered, and I, I'd like to see a, a kind of one big Radio Awards back. Yeah, definitely. Have you seen any of the details of the award categories? Because they're quite interesting. Oh, no, I haven't. No, go on. They, they've, they've changed the definition. So it's not just best sports show, it's best sports show slash podcast. Oh, uh, that's good. Well, that's good, yeah. I mean, podcast so, should be in there. Obviously, your, the, the podcast awards were a huge Unfortunately, success, well, sure. there isn't a best media podcast category, obviously, no, otherwise. No. I'd like to think we'd at least best be nominated. Best curly-haired media podcast <laughs> presenter. And actually, something I think that they have learned from the British Podcast Awards, genuinely is the price. Uh, it's £25 to enter, oh, good. and it's free to turn up if you're a Radio Academy member. That's brilliant. That has to be a good thing, doesn't it? Yeah, I it? think that's a really good thing. I, I think that like the more we can get people entering awards and having their, their craft celebrated, it, it, it just benefits everybody. It's, it's good for discovery, it's good for ego, it's good for the, for the craft because people up their game a little bit, and, and I can't see any, any disadvantage of it if more and more people can get access to it. I did notice a couple of new categories for presenting as well, which does make me think maybe they were a bit disappointed by the talent who came up last year. Oh, really? Yeah. Just get some more presenters up, get more nominated. Uh, right, there is just time for our media quiz. <coughs> this week, it's entitled Transformers Publishers in Disguise. Uh, I'm going to assume the character of a media publisher of note that has disguised itself as another format. Your task is to deduce who I am and who, this week, I've decided to impersonate. If you're not clear on the rules, just I, press rewind. I didn't understand a word of that, but carry on. It's the best of three. Buzz in with your name. So, Boyd, you will say... Boyd. And Faraz, you will say... Faraz. The winner is a hung parliament. The loser is a hard Brexit. And here <laughs> is question number one. Who am I? Exclusive. Owen Jones ate my hamster. Who am I? And what story do I represent? You Buzz in with your name when you know the answer. <laughs> Owen Jones ate my hamster. It's a tabloid it's a headline. The Daily Star. Oh, you've got a buzzing with your name. Faraz, the Daily Faraz. Star. No. Who, who does Owen Jones write for? The Guardian. Yes. Right. So what's the story? Guardian going tabloid. Oh, oh very good. Yeah, no, right, using okay. the... Um, buzzing with your name. Faraz. Boyd. Christ. <laughs> Faraz, yes. What's the story? So the Guardian are losing their Berliner and becoming a tabloid. Correct. They're changing the size of the paper. They've been in Berliner format for over a decade. Why the change? Is this, I don't know, Brexit? Like, they can't get getting out of Berlin? I'm like... It's going to be printed by a mirror group, isn't it? And it is, And they're saving yes. loads of money. So, yes, they yeah. are saving loads of money. Yeah. Bit of a shame, I think. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Oh, no, fine. That blood, no one wants that clunky big thing. No, to, it's distinctive and cool, no, I think. No. <laughs> it's not, it hasn't been cool for years, it's, honestly. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, one less reason to buy a paper copy of The no. Guardian, which I think is a shame. Uh, here is question number two. Coming soon to an internet-connected screen near you. I'm a hybrid, but what am I? What's the story? Um, Faraz. Faraz. I'm, I'm going to say, is it about Netflix and the talk about them opening cinemas in America? You're close. Okay. And I'm going to give you the point. 
the story is that Netflix and Amazon's production budgets are to eclipse UK box office takings by 2020. Incredible, yeah. Sorry, I, I did know that story, and it's and it's unbelievable. I mean, I do believe it, but yeah, I didn't I didn't guess it from your contrivedly contrived clue. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't mean people aren't going to the cinema anymore. The cinema is still doing fine. People are going for big events, but they well, you just know there prefer was, yeah. To watch I mean, stuff there was a big controversy in Cannes when Netflix, you know, they didn't they, Netflix films were shown in, in competition, and people were outraged and said, you know, you should, these films coming up on Netflix are, are going to be available on Netflix. So you don't have to go to the cinema to see them. People were outraged. I think it's fine. We'll, I, yeah. we'll all come to terms with it. I think I think it's a nonsense as well. I think what Netflix are doing is is admirable. When they buy films, more people see them. It's it's as simple as well, that. They make films. Yeah, I mean, in, in I've exactly. just watched actually a new one called Okja, which is about a giant pig, and it's written by John Ronson. It's brilliant. Okja. <laughs> Okja. Look out for it. Okay, we'll do. Uh, here is uh, well, it's the final question, but Faraz has already won. Uh, so, well, but yeah, boy, was, try hard. Fine. But you know, Faraz has got this in the bag. Mr. Speaker, may I highlight to my right honourable friend? That it's time for traffic and travel. Here's Sally oh, Traffic. Yeah, I know Boyd. Boyd. This is um, two politicians. I've forgotten who they are. Ian, Ian Duncan Smith is one of them, yeah. and someone like, Miliband. That's right. Ah, yes. oh, have um, are going to get to true guess, to brand in both cases. Yes, they're going to get to they host shows on Radio Two. Is yes, that right? in a move that's Jeremy. not at all stolen from LBC. Right, uh, the Jeremy Vine show is yeah. going to be guest hosted by Ian Duncan Smith I mean, and Ed Miliband. Let me say right now, my mum is going to be furious because she loves Jeremy Vine. It religiously listens to him and. I mean, Ian Duncan Smith, I'm sorry. I, mean, I, don't, I don't mind Miliband. Ian Duncan Smith is an unutterably tedious figure. I say it with full bias. But also, not a presenter. No. I mean, it's one thing, isn't it, to host a political phone-in, which I guess the Jeremy Vine show kind of is, but it's also an entertainment show, isn't it, for us? It's going to be beyond their ability to do at the level you might want. I didn't know this. This is, this is news to me. Um, I don't know. Is it going to bring back Millie fandom? That's, uh, is that what they're trying to, trying to cash in on? It's, it's an interesting one when politicians start branching out into media and it's and I think that obviously there's been lots of controversy about George Osborne being the new editor of the Evening Standard and and you know uh, is their media presence now part and parcel of what what makes you a politician um, do you need to be a celebrity to represent the people but I, th- I think you know fair enough they're, they're they're good names they know what they're talking about they've um, they've got some good experience behind them and I think it'd just be interesting if it's going to be a bit of navel gazing or if actually they're going to be able to uh, give insight that that nobody else can well, as Nigel Farage actually says on LBC every night, I've done an hour's work. It's time to leave the building. Uh, so thank you very much to Boyd and Faraz. Uh, Faraz, you are the winner of the quiz. Hooray. Congrats. Uh, that is our show for today. My thanks to Faraz and Boyd and Maggie Brown as well. Who could forget that? Catch up with previous episodes and get new ones from us as soon as they're released by subscribing for free on our website, themediapodcast.com. This episode is dedicated to Andy Winter, who works for a student's union and has said he'd love it if we could big up Student Media Group's URN Radio, Impact Magazine, and NSTV. Go on, NSTV. Consider them bigged up. Uh, join Andy, keep us on the air, go to themediapodcast.com slash donate and give generously. Uh, I've been Ollie Mann, the producer Matt Hill. The Media Podcast is a PPM production. Until next time, bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.